So when they, they both uh, met, they felt it was uneven. They felt that um, they weren't properly supported, just use those terms. And it led for a very slow and delayed kickoff of this transformation. So it didn't even start well. This is right from the very beginning. So uh, I know that both of us have been and seen a lot of digital transformations happen, happening, or intending to happen in the future. And um, would you agree, Carl? What do you say? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there's many obstacles or many examples where um, digital transformation didn't work as planned, <laughs> as intended. And uh, yeah, I, I, I can bring up a few that I know that I, I myself... Uh, was part of that era and part of that issue. So definitely would love to talk about um, my experience, what I did uh, incorrectly and so others can avoid and what I learned from uh, doing some things uh, wrong. So yeah, let's talk about that. Excellent, cool. And equally as well, I have um, a lot of scenarios that um, where you can see that this is going to be an issue down the road. And Sometimes we're in a position to influence it and steer in the right direction. And sometimes, you know, we've unfortunately, unfortunately had to just watch the train wreck happen. And uh, so equally, I have three key critical things um, as well that I'd like to share today. So how about we go back and forth and we share um, your three and my three and we, we share them with our audience. For sure, for sure. It's not going to be pretty, but it's a learning lesson, man. All right. So I'll go first. Um, the first one okay. that was really key for me is um, the people side and why transformations fail is by not supporting the people through change. The people are the 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 operation, the engine that um, supports the business, whether your driver for change or transformation is um, bringing, bringing higher customer service value. Um, reducing the cost of operations, being in compliant, or even working remotely. Um, regardless of what the transformation is, the new technologies, uh, processes, or um, policies that are implemented, it's the people that's fundamental to that change. And um, in their current states, you know, they might be very comfortable, whether they're one, five, ten years working in a job. They have a certain confidence that comes with, um, in, with doing their work um, and feeling confident in their work on a daily basis. When you're implementing a new technology in your process, they will lose that confidence initially. And it's our job to ensure that there's ample training, ample opportunity to ask questions, ample lead up time, even even ample opportunity to play in the new way of working, in the new technology um, or new processes to feel comfortable with it. And as time goes on and they're ensured of the support, they will eventually become as confident in the new ways of working as they were with the old ways of working. So. Supporting the people through change is a key pillar for me and why digital transformations fail. Yeah, that that is, um, I would say, probably the fundamental. And I understand why that's your number one. It's also my number one. As a matter of fact, that's actually one of my failures on one of my projects where um, I would say I didn't do proper preparation uh, for supporting the people. So there is an example of I had to work on a project where there were two leading uh, organizations that um, we were doing a, a large digital transformation initiative between these two organizations. And 
where I failed, and again, these are why I'm bringing these up there is to put total transparency. I'm not putting any blame on anyone else, but to show that we do get these wrong sometimes and we have to learn from them. So my biggest failure was not properly supporting them and doing proper preparation. So I would say uh, doing pre-wires with the individuals that's gonna expect to go through the change, particularly if you're gonna do one lead, a strategy session that's going to then design what that future state or what that digital transformation is gonna look like, uh, there should be proper preparation for that. Meaning all the parties involved should know what to expect, uh, some of the methodologies that we're going to go over, some of the terms, and um, even what the day-to-day -day world is going to be like. And so my biggest mistake was um, one organization was very well prepared and and uh, prompted by me uh, because I took the time to do that preparation, and it didn't have didn't do enough preparation for another organization. So when they, they both uh, met, they felt it was uneven. They felt that um, they weren't properly supported, just use those terms. And it led for a very slow and delayed kickoff of this transformation. So it didn't even start well. This is right from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So in order for you to properly support uh, people that are going through this change, definitely do the prior or the pre-wire, the preparation, all those things that are needed to so that everyone feels that they're going to be supported through the uh, transformation. So that was certainly one of my mistakes I made in the past. Oh, yeah, no, that's powerful. That's key. One of the tools that I use from a change management uh, perspective is um, stakeholder impact assessment. And, um, mm. and it, it, that exercise has been invaluable, just helping people really understanding the different types of people or stakeholders impacted by the change and um, what their current state is and their future state. Just that exercise of assessing everybody impacted by the change has really helped um, shape strategies and change plans that um, that that help people along that along that journey. So, yeah, you mentioned a really, really yeah, strong one there. Yeah, a great, and it's a great tool. Um, you're so right now, that's certainly something that we put in place now, but yeah, that's certainly a great way to ensure that everyone is in an even playing field. And if, like you said, if they need a particular way of managing, of a particular style for you to manage them, to support them through this, that impact assessment is definitely going to show what those are and how you should be able to manage those people. All right, cool. So moving on to our next item. Um, another key factor in why transformations fail is by not uh, transforming the data through the process. So mm. uh, imagine you're a company that's been operating 10, 15, 20, 50 years. Um, you know, over time you have developed um, processes you, you you would have had started on paper and um, you may have a series of legacy systems where there's rich history of data that governs and operates the organization in today's day and age everything is done by smartphones and mobility and ability to operate um, online and um, in order to to have your history complement your future the data needs to be transformed maybe not all of it, maybe just parts that are actively in use or even semi-actively in use. Um, that might involve um, scanning and digitizing documents and not just putting them blindly through a scanner, but enabling OCR, metadata, and um, ensuring they're properly tagged and categorized so that information can be 
repurposed keyword searched or leveraged for intelligence, insights on customers or insights on um, changes to operation or trends. Um, the other value mm -hmm. to, to transforming your data is you can leverage it towards automation. So a key factor with um, transformation, yes, many transformations include getting shiny new technology, but if you're not pushing through clean and properly cataloged and tagged data, if you're not pushing clean data through it, um, it will just hinder your ability to um, for your new technology to really uh, drive the future outcomes that you've intended. Yeah, well, well said. Uh, and here's an example of when you're not relying on the data. So that's my number two, which is jumping to conclusions. You know, I thought I've had that pure data and, and here's what here's what I did. Meaning I was working with this organization for some time and in one part of the project, um, we completed, we made some solutions based on the data that we had for that particular area. And now moving to another area, which is very, very similar to the previous area I was in. You know, my assumption was, hey, I think the solution, the outcome, the methodology should probably be roughly the same. And <laughs> that was that was incorrect. Uh, I was making, uh, jumping to conclusion, I was making assumptions not on the data that was required for that next solution, that next problem, but relying on what happened on the previous. So yeah, I echo that. Not having the proper data. In my case, I jumped to conclusions without that data, and it led me down a wrong path. You know, I was able quickly to realize, oh, this is definitely not going to be the same outcome as the previous project. But um, it allowed me to say, wow, let's not do that again, Carl. Don't make an assumption. Uh, make sure you have the right um, data for the particular project you're working in. And even if it's the same company, um, you know, even the same department, but this was a different floor. <laughs> it was a completely unique uh, solution that I had to come up with. And so, uh, you know, bad for upon myself, I, I wasn't using the data. Yeah, I imagine there was a lot of um, learnings that came out of, out of came out of that experience. So yeah, that's invaluable. And sometimes I know yeah. that it can be challenging because we're, we have to make assumptions in the absence of of um, the future being measured in any measurable state. Um, so it definitely is a double-edged sword mm -hmm. with um, making assumptions or conclusions because we need them to move things forward, but the data may or may not always be there um, representing what the future might look like. An odd experience at best. <laughs> we can yeah. laugh at it now, but certainly learn that we've got in the past, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And another, All right, failure number three. All right, cool. Um, another key one for me uh, is measuring the process changes. So okay. it's one thing to recognize that there is um, a current stint or an, an as-is process and a to-be process, uh, shameless plug. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But in the beginning, the, the measurement or your metrics are vital um, to provide evidence of, of change or opportunity to further make adjustments to the, to the new process. Um, take mm -hmm. that time in the beginning uh, to measure how long does it, our process take from end to end? How long does it take for us to make a widget? You know, is it a two day, a three day process? Is it, or even how long does it take to make a hamburger? Is it a four or five minute thing? Um, and analyze each stage of that process in its current state. Um, 
and all the areas of potential waste, be it where we're touching something more than once, we're transporting, we're waiting on others to finish their work before we can do our work or we're even redoing. Measure each and every stage of that process and it, may, it might be painstaking, but that initial measurement of the current state is invaluable because mm -hmm. when you get to the to be state, um, measuring how long it takes now, it may not be perfect, but at least you have a benchmark um, upon which that you can continue to grow, perform, improve the process going forward. And you know, you fast forward after the some of the benefits start to be realized of the of the current states or the new state, um, you have your measurements to back it. You know, we are 25% faster in this capacity. We're, we've reduced our our, um, our our waiting time from 30 minutes to 10 minutes. Um, or even one of the projects I just recently completed, where it was uh, um, over a two-month process and through process automation and simplification, we got it down to a two-day process. Um, so that that current state measurement and the to the, um, the future state um, is vital uh, to mm -hmm. substantiate the transformation as well as, you know, in the early stages, it's going to be tough, but at least you have some numbers to back um, and support why we're making this investment in the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, my third one's slightly different. Um, that's probably our first time we're having a little difference there. Mm -hmm. Mine is more of a change management perspective. And again, this is just through my experience maybe different for all, but uh, still the same to call out. Um, my third one was being too rigid. Um, and it seems odd for, for people that know me to, for me to talk about this because uh, when I first started out, you know, being trained um, as a civilian black belt and as is and to be processes and all the things that you mentioned, I was very, very structured. So always do this by the book. But I found out through time from a change management perspective that it did not always um, it did not always support the project where I had to go to the nth degree of certain methodologies. So I found that I had to learn to be flexible where needed. I learned over time that you should have contingencies, have options uh, for those instances because you, you can't just stop the project because it's not going in a certain method the way you're looking for it. So I would say some of my failures was that I was too rigid and not realize that from a change management perspective, there is ways to get around, still accomplish what you're looking to do for your project or your initiative, but be a little bit more flexible and have some options. And just a simple example is where um, attendance of people that need, need to be in the room, key individuals aren't able to attend or have to leave suddenly, you still continue with what you need to do. So the process modeling or the decisions. But um, what I learned was to make these contingency, you know, standing five minute meetings at the end of the day. And I would start to schedule with certain individuals that have to be a part of the decision downward. So that down the road, uh, a decision made and they're also part of that decision as opposed to we made that decision without you we're going to continue on and those individuals feel like they're not fully involved or uh, had had their say as part of that decision so that's a more change management rule that's probably more personal but uh, i moved from a more rigid individual when i first started doing these these projects to someone that's a little bit more flexible or have at least 
um, variable variable options uh, in preparation for things that won't go as as planned. Yeah, no, well said. Does that well kind of make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, being a, a Six Sigma black belt myself, there's very structured processes in there. And uh, um, I, I, we mm. both know the value if we stick to it um, religiously or faithfully. Yeah. So I, I totally understand that. Um, yeah, I, I too have also been in that mindset too. Um, in the context of project management, I used to um, you know, manage the majority of my projects as waterfall and um, also being a Six Sigma I mean, a, um, a scrum master, I um, now rely more mm. on a agile methodology. So in place of that waterfall mm. style, I um, work in increments. And uh, I, I see the, the progression towards the future more as a wave than a structured series of boxes. Yes. Um, and that's helped me be more flexible in um, how quickly or how responsive I am at different stages within the the change that people are going through and um you know really just balancing out where they are in their understanding of the future understanding of the change itself support structures that need to be put in place to help them be successful so yeah i couldn't agree with you more being too rigid has uh <laughs> um caused me hurt me in the past too and it's helped me um make my style a lot more flexible and agile yeah, yeah, yeah. And great words, great terms, because that's certainly where we've gone to now. Definitely a lot more agile and more easy going with respect to it's not going to be perfect, but we got to try and do something. We need to at least implement and see the results. Mm-hmm. So I have any concluding words for um, for why the top reasons uh, why digital transformations fail? I, I don't want to put it out there and say that, you know, failure is inevitable, but we need to be prepared that we're going to learn from some um, transformations that are not going to go as well as planned. And we should be able to expect that. But what we learn from that, what we take that responsibility of saying, yes, I was in, I was emplacing in this, I was involved in this and learning from that and then pivoting. I think we should be going this with our eyes wide open and not make the assumption that it's going to be easy and and successful 100% of the time. I'm not sure if anyone believes that, but I think these components that we have identified, if we can, uh, since we've learned from that, if you guys can avoid those type of mistakes in, in, the, in, in your projects going forward, it will make it that much more successful. John, I'm not sure if you could just sum this up very quickly as a soundbite uh, on your end. Well, um, if you want to see the future, you know, you look in the past is my, is my motto. Fail, if you're going to fail, fail fast, but be bold in your um, vision of the future and, um, you know, just position yourself to be flexible for um, adjustments to be made. And um, ultimately, you will uh, find your way to a successful transformation. I love that. I love it. Fail fast. Love that. I'd also be interested to hear from others what were some of their biggest failures that contributed to a less than successful outcome and what they did to um, counter it. All right, well, catch you on the flip side. Thank you, everyone. All right, sir. Cheers.